Hey everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner and you are listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast. I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, the book, a Penguin Random House publication that came out in 2015. And that book is about navigating a healthy pregnancy for mother and baby. So let's see, what are we going to talk about this week? I promised myself I wouldn't bring up the election and I'm sticking to it, except for this one little thing. You're voting, right? Right? You better be. No matter who your candidate is, voting is your right, your responsibility, and I'd say your obligation. And this election, we have so much at stake. So do it, okay? Just do it. There, done. Uh, What else? So in terms of, you know, maternal health stuff and pregnancy stuff and parenting stuff, it's actually a little bit of a slow week. That might be a good thing. No major catastrophes on the headlines. And I was scrolling around. I was just looking for stuff we can talk about this week. And I came across um, something in my Facebook feed, I think, a TED Talk given a while back by Babbel.com publishers and married couple parents, Elisa Volkman and Rufus Griscom. And in this TED Talk, they were talking about four taboo topics of parenthood. The stuff none of us are supposed to talk about or that we rarely talk about. Um, And they talked about stuff that every parent talks about being overwhelmed with immediate love for their newborn. Um, You know, we're all told that, that it's going to just be this huge, huge wash of love that you feel the very moment that you put that baby in your arms. But the truth is something different for some parents. Some feel it big and hard immediately, but others, it's more of a slow burn. What I do know is that all parents get there eventually. I would say, you know, 99.999%. Some just feel really overwhelmed at first, or they don't recognize that what they're feeling is actually that big wash of love, or, you know, it just comes a little later. But what does happen is that love that you feel for your baby, it's going to sustain them throughout your child's life. And it may start out small, but it grows and grows and grows. Let's see, they also pointed out um, that this might be more of a dad thing than a mom thing, since moms are pretty darn connected with their babies right from the start. And dads have to wait until after birth to make that connection. Um... They mentioned the loneliness that's so common in parenthood, but is still kind of taboo to talk about. It's especially common for the parent, again, usually the mom, who stays at home with a nonverbal, extremely needy and exhausting baby. They talked about how everybody talks about the delirious happiness parts of parenting, but not about the loneliness. And... As Elisa Volkman mentioned, it's not something you want to tell a new mom about. I agree. You know, we, we often hear that phrase, oh, well, no one ever told me about that. Or, you know, why didn't you tell me that this was going to happen before I had kids? Sometimes I think it's because we just can't really articulate it. And sometimes it's because we feel like, well, this isn't necessarily a universal fact of parenthood. Not everybody feels this way. Maybe it was just me. And so we don't talk about it. We don't tell moms that, yeah, it can be, and dads, it can be kind of a lonely time. You're going to be home for a while. Your baby's not going to be very communicative. 
he or she is going to be super clingy. And, you know, if we did talk about that and parents felt it, then they would recognize that, oh, yeah, it's that stage. It's the kind of lonely trapped in the house stage. It changes. It doesn't last forever. Um, another ta taboo. They talked about how talking about miscarriage is still taboo. And I, I agree. Not enough women share their miscarriage stories. So lots of women, again, they think they're alone with the experience or they're unique or they're weird. Um, finally, their final taboo was they talked about how you can't say you're less happy since having kids. And I think that that is probably the scariest thing that impending parents hear. They don't want to hear that here they are, you know, they're in for it. They're going to be parents pretty soon. Please, oh, please don't tell me it's not going to be great. Don't tell me that I'm not going to be happy. And I think that um, Vulcan, Volkman and Grisman did a really, really good job talking about that. It's funny, and they have great charts and graphics to underline their points, and I think they're pretty spot on. I also thought they were kind of dated, and that's when I noticed that they first gave this talk in 2010. Um, since then, I think we've dented some of those taboos. We certainly haven't kicked them out, but we've made a dent. And I think we can thank social media for that. Um, you know, Facebook and Twitter and, you know, even podcasts and all of that. And, you know, websites like Babbel or Fit Pregnancy or, you know, all of that. It's giving us opportunities to talk about this big, big experience of parenthood more. Um, you know, places like babble.com are kind of a solution for busting that, these taboos. And I say they've made huge progress because, you know, you hear about it more. More women are talking about their miscarriages. More families are reaching out and saying, oh my God, I need support. You know, we're hearing more of it. Um, and we have podcasts too. And a lot of people are using this fabulous platform to share their stories and ideas and solutions and frustrations, all of it. It's cool, isn't it? Anyway, give their TED Talk a listen. It's a pretty timeless stuff. I really enjoyed it. Well, let's just get right down to greeting our guest. We have a really cool guest this week. And, and she's one I'm surprised I haven't talked to a million times before. Um, we're going to hop on the phone with a lady who works in a lot of the same areas that I work in. She's all about the mamas. And she's 100% committed to helping women thrive both, both here in the U.S. and around the world. So let's get Chrisula Weiniger from Global Moms Challenge on the phone. Chrisula here. Hi, Chrisula. This is Jeannie. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Jeannie. How are you? I'm good. Where are you? Are you in New York? I'm in Connecticut today in my yeah. home office. Ah, ooh, Connecticut in October. You're in it's the land of beautiful. beauty. Yeah, yeah. We could compete. I'm here in Portland, and uh, we've got color. We got some color. We could okay. compete. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tight contest, then. <laughs> I bet you're going to win, though, because is it gray, drizzly, and cloudy there? Yes, it is, and we have snow forecast tonight, so. Oh, well, I'm not sure who's the winner here. We've got the gray and the drizzle, but we're not going to get snow. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like this time of year. I love the color changes. It's great. Yeah. It is. It's gorgeous. Yeah. So, Chrisula, what I want to do first is I want to read your bio, and then let's just start talking about, you know, this 
we, we walk in the same circles, it seems like. So if you're good with that, I'm going to read it. Sure thing. Go for it. Okay. Chrisula Weiniger is Senior Director, Communications and Special Initiatives at the United Nations Foundation and Community Manager for Global Moms Challenge. Prior, she founded Wake Up World Communications, a digital communications agency focused on social action campaigns. Chrisula has a passion for women's empowerment, leadership, and solutions for the world's big problems. She has developed community engagement and digital strategy initiatives for organizations such as the United Nations Foundation, Fox Searchlight, Engender Health, Family Planning 2020, and many others. A communicator, agitator, and mother, Chrisula's personal blog is When You Wake Up a Mother. Ooh, you got a good bio. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So now that I have read that, I want to ask you the hard question. Who are you and what do you do? The first thing I am is a mother. I have four kids. I uh, have been, I've had six pregnancies. I had a couple of miscarriages in there. And, um, and that actually defines an enormous amount of why I am where I am professionally. Uh, my motherhood and some of the experiences that I had in discovering the power of digital communications and women connecting with women online really brought me to this point. So you have four kids. How old are they? What's the range? I've got two girls, 12 and 14. So we are in emerging teen years mm. in that part of the family. Uh-huh. And then I have two boys, nearly eight and 10. Oh my goodness. I've got um, three daughters, a son and a niece in my family. And we are at the tail end of it. We've got our last teenager. My youngest is 16 and uh, living to tell the tale, my friend. All right. I'm going to follow up separately for some tips. You got it. You're going to be okay. That's my most important message to (laughs) pre-adolescent moms is don't worry, sweetie. It's going to be all right. (laughs) I think that there's this range of, you know, maybe it's from 12 to 14 or 13 to 15 or 14 to 16, but it seems like there's for every adolescent uh, girl, it seems like the mother will talk about a specific two-year tussle that just that was it for them that was their adolescent parenthood and then it got better well these girls of mine are spectacular and exhausting and inspiring and traumatizing (laughs) and I know like intellectually I know it's all going to be okay and you get these glimpses and I'm sure you you're seeing the fruits of this on the other side right you get these glimpses of who they're going to be as adults yeah yeah and you're like damn this is so exciting yeah yeah we just have to get through some communication issues between now and then (laughs) right right communication issues and letting go which is the hardest thing we do you know because the communication you'll work it out and your teenager will make sure you hear them probably but oh it's so hard to let go that's exactly right So you are a mother. What else? And I'm a communicator. I think uh, in my bio, I I say I'm a communicator, an agitator, and a mum. And and I really, I feel like I live those three things and that's what's threaded through my entire existence. My whole career, whether it's been now, which is focused on 
nonprofit work and social issues. But before that, I was part of corporate life through some consumer goods um, companies and before that, financial services companies, um, both here in the US and around the world. And the power of communication, the power to connect individuals with each other has has really marked everything that I've ever done. Agitator is a, is a sort of a subsection of that, right? Communication as a tool to raise awareness, to uh, get people to act on issues that they care about or help them understand that they actually do care about something in the first place yeah. and then show people some of those steps that they can take to enact change mm-hmm. on those issues. Mm-hmm. That's a big part of what I see as my life's mission, not only as a, a parent, but as a professional um, and then just as a human being in my sort of the volunteer side of my life. It, it's a, it's a, for me, it's a real 360 um, engagement and, and communication is sort of the nexus of all of that communication as, as a parent, communication as a professional, communication as a human being and as a community member. We do really similar things using different um, formats and organizations. But essentially, I think that you and I both are grabbing people by the hands and pulling them into the pool and showing them that advocacy is actually not that hard. You just have to jump. Just do it. Get in, get wet. And, you know, I see that through, you know, the work I've watched Global Moms Challenge do and for the other nonprofit organizations. You reach out and you get people whatever way you can. Exactly. And it's interesting that for me, motherhood was such a big launching point for that advocacy. And it is something I think that, you know, I'm, I'm guessing from the title of your podcast that many of your listeners are mums yeah. or are soon, are soon to be mums. And, there's something about this experience that rips away barriers that we may have between economic dividers, racial dividers, religious dividers. Um, all of a sudden, there's this one core experience that we're in the middle of that um, helps us connect with each other and wakes us up to what some of our sisters are experiencing right here in our own towns and communities and across the world. Yeah, yeah. I I agree with you that there is this this core among all mothers and parents, but there are also these huge gaps where there's still a tremendous us and them mentality. There's still more opportunities for judgment than communication sometimes, you know? And some of that I think is media representation. Some of it I think is you know, women have, we're busy. We have not that many opportunities to reach out and, and see what life is like for other mothers. What's your experience about that? Yeah, there's certainly a, a capacity for cruelty towards each other as well, right? That uh, some friends of mine right now are running a campaign around no shame. Let's not shame other mothers mm-hmm. um, just because we choose to iterate our mothering differently. Right. Um, and I think that's really a powerful concept. You know, I remember walking down this, I used to live in Manhattan. I had three babies under five. <laughs> and, and, you know, I remember walking down the street with a kid on each side and a baby in the stroller. And I was pregnant with my fourth at that time. And a woman like stopped me and shouted at me and said, when are you going to stop? Oh, I've gotten that. Implying, when am I going to stop having children? And it yeah. was just the most shocking experience yeah. that someone would make 
that sort of a judgment. But then I also realized how judgmental I can be. I remember moving to a part of Manhattan that was a little more affluent than where I'd been living. And I remember feeling very uncomfortable and thinking, I don't really want to live here. These women are like, I remember standing at the bus stop with a woman dressed, she was had a mink coat and she's dripping with diamond jewelry. And I remember completely writing her off as someone that would have no connection to me. Well, at the time I had a newborn, my second, and she was snuggled in and at my breast and she was actually nursing in the, in the little baby carrier. And this woman looked at me and she said, is she nursing? And I said, yes. And she started to cry. Hmm. And I remember I, I asked her, like, oh, my goodness, what's wrong? How can I help you? And she talked about 50 years earlier when she had delivered her babies in a very privileged environment, um, you know, the sort of hospital that delivers champagne and caviar after the birth yeah. and on linen and silver. And she said, you know, I wanted to breastfeed my babies so badly. And every single person around me, both family, friends, medical communities, you know, doctors, nurses, etc., said I needed to bottle feed my child. And there was such a grief there. Yeah. And so I yeah. was so humbled by what she taught me at that moment at the bus stop that when we strip away the ways that we judge each other, yeah, um, there's so much shared ground there. Yeah, yeah. And your baby provided the opportunity. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So in your bio, you say you have a passion for finding solutions for the world's big problems. Which ones? There's so many. <laughs> There's so, so many there big, are, big, big ones. There are so many. And, yeah. you know, I think the overarching issues are, are around poverty and um, giving people opportunities to help dig themselves out of poverty. Um, yeah. and, and to that end, I'm really excited by the United Nations new sustainable development goals. Um, I don't know if your listeners are familiar, but a year ago, the UN countries, all 193 of them came together and adopted a set of goals. There's 17 goals that lay out a framework and a roadmap to solve for these big problems. And those goals include things like um, zero hunger, like good health and well-being, access to quality education for all children for 12 years of education, um, gender equality, which is such a complex um, concept, but it, you know, it includes things like bringing women into peace negotiation processes yeah. around the world, um, something that's so critical. Yeah. Um, there are goals around how we look at um, life, life in the oceans, um, the health of our land, how we tackle climate change, um, and then also involving businesses and, and the private sector, how we work together as partners when investing in communities and looking at cities that are more sustainable. It's a huge agenda and it's an exciting agenda and it's something that every single person on the planet can find a passion point yeah, definitely. around which to get engaged. Yeah. So, you know, the solutions in many instances are there. Like we know what works, for example, in saving mums from dying in childbirth. We right. know that when they have a skilled guild birth, survival increased dramatically. We know that when they have certain medications or compression um, suits example that will stop 
bleeding when a, you know something that's often the cause of death for women is is bleeding out after pregnancy Prim- primarily women, that kind of bleeding you know, out in developing works, countries we've just got to get the right resources in place yeah yeah so Global Moms Challenge, obviously, and several other nonprofit organizations that I'm associated with, they look at this huge, huge um, range of issues and they pick a slant, a perspective, and that is through the lives of girls and women. And the reason for that is because if we're really, really going to create change, we need to disrupt the status quo. We need to elevate the parts of our cultures and societies that have been suppressed or oppressed and we need to integrate girls and women as equal partners in society and I think that it is easier for people to recognize that that action plan that value um, here in the United States where certainly we do not have gender equity in any walk of life but it's better than in developing countries in many ways um, and I'm not really sure where, what my question on that is. It's more of a commentary about, about it, but you too have focused on women's empowerment, women's leadership, women's solutions for women's problems. Absolutely. And I think firstly, a giant amen sister, you know, yeah. um, but I, but I, the, the equality that we're seeking for isn't isn't really anywhere in the world or very, very few spots. Right. Um, but secondly, I think that American women are still batting against really serious odds, you know, just the issues around access to paid family leave and the fact that a huge chunk of our economy works for companies that are less than 50 employees. And mm-hmm. so that all of the family leave provisions that apply don't apply to these women. Um, you know, we still have stories of women going back to to work after a couple of weeks after birth and yeah um that's just shocking so so there can be an us and them but i think when we really strip it down and think about it there's a lot that connects us to some of the battles that women are around the world are fighting right um and and at global mums challenge my job and my heart's work is to introduce some of the obstacles that women face all around the world to our community and in, and do so at a, at a, at a very 101 level so that, that it's an entry point, it's a starting point. I, kind of, I consider Global Moms Challenge kind of a gateway to some of the issues that the UN is battling and that women in the, in the world in general are fighting. And then we have a range of nonprofit partners who are doing the work. So it's UNICEF and Every Mother Counts and Shot at Life campaign, which is a global vaccines campaign, and um, UNHCR, the UN's refugee agency, and UNFPA, which helps women access family planning and other kinds of health issues around our, our reproductive cycles. And, you know, reaching out and showing my audience ways that they can learn about the issues and then ways that they can take meaningful action and that action could look like something as simple as share this article because I believe with all my heart that everything starts with awareness that once we learn about something we can get out there and be part of sharing it and getting the word out secondly that action could look like particularly for American community members call or send a petition you know sign a petition or send a letter to your 
elected representative or even more exciting, pick up the phone and leave a message with their office or mm-hmm. even go and see them mm-hmm. in district or, um, or come to Washington, D.C. Because one of the things that I think very few of us realize until we get the opportunity to do it is that our elected officials work for us. And we are their bosses. Yeah, yeah. They are really interested in what we have to say. They want to know if we think uh, the U.S. should be supporting um, wider coverage of vaccines for the most vulnerable kids in the world. They want to know if we support um, USAID's work in providing family planning access to women who want it, mm-hmm. and only women who want it. Right, of course. Uh, you know, there's power in them hearing from us about what we care about and I guarantee you they listen they have to listen it's their job I know and so many people don't know that I um I I I work with a couple of other women and we teach advocacy workshops where we take people from having no idea how they want to save the world to having an action plan for what they're going to do when they leave our conference and the first step for so many people is they do have this, they have this deep desire. They want to make a difference, but it's also big and daunting. How do you even know what to do? And, you know, we ask them when you're scrolling on your phone and you're looking at your Facebook headlines, or your Twitter feed or, you know, NPR headlines, what do you naturally gravitate towards? What are the articles that you just, you always read that? Well, that's a hint. That's what you want to do. That's where you want to make a difference. And there's a million different ways to be able to identify, you know, how, where are you going to plug in and how are you going to do it? It's just a matter of paying attention, or as I like to put it, looking up at the right time. Yeah, I love that. And I think the other thing for, for people to bear in mind is you don't have to do it all. You can't do it all. Right. No, no one's doing it all. Nobody's it doing it. That passion area. Is it, is it girls education? Is it access to vaccines? Yeah. Is it, um, women's leadership is it entrepreneurship helping people start small businesses whatever it looks like for you figuring out how you can iterate that locally in your own community because I'm a huge proponent of acting locally first and then secondly if you've got a heart for it figuring out how to iterate that globally as well there's no disconnect for me between loving the child across the street and loving the child across the world right but right. let's make sure we're starting locally first yeah. and then kind of radiating out, radiating out our actions for that global ripple effect. You know, another thing that um, people will talk about is, you know, I'll tell people in my workshops, you know, what are you really good at? What's your talent? And people will talk about, you know, being just a kick-ass knitter or I'm a musician or I'm really good at baking. And then they'll say, but that's not going to make a difference to anybody. That's just for me. And that is another one of those pay attention moments. I did a podcast a couple weeks back with a father who is a, a musician. And he talked about the impact of his creativity on his parenthood. And I talked to uh, a woman who was on tour and she has a, with her band and she has a four-year-old at home. And the impact that they are making with just representing living a creative life in the world and the power of music to impact change for people, they both kind of discounted it just a little bit. And then they recognized that, oh, 
that's my thing. That's how I'm doing it. That's how I'm saving the world. <laughs> Aren't we tough on ourselves? I know. I know. People think, well, if you're not working for in a nonprofit organization or if you're not, you know, putting bandages on the wounded in the refugee camp, you're not doing it. Yeah, you yeah. are. Yeah, you are. Well, and to that point, every nonprofit out there worth its salt has relationships with companies, right? We need people who are working within their organizations to maybe, you know, if it's a company that's big enough to have a corporate and social responsibility team, to go knock on that door and say, hey, have you heard about this situation going on in the world or I have a heart for these issues, can I help Can I help you, like, figure out how our company could do some good in this space? Like, we need to, we need private companies to step up and, and so many are so full of good people who are doing their best to be good corporate citizens. So, um, that's a powerful, powerful way to get involved. Yeah, it definitely is. Well, I want to clarify a little bit what Global Moms is. So, can we, we've been mentioning it, but let's really, um. Yeah, describe it. So Global Moms Challenge is a community uh, of mostly U.S. women, but we are growing globally, which I'm really excited about. And we are a platform for you to come and learn about what some of the big issues are. We are united um, as a community of moms to help try and change the world. We believe that every mom in the world wants the same thing, a healthy pregnancy, a safe birth and a baby who will thrive. And so our mission is to help families who maybe don't have that sort of access of basic healthcare and services to raise awareness and create calls to action of our community uh, and point to our more than 30 NGO partners who are doing work on the ground in, in all of the world's hotspots. Um, we talk a lot about children's health and well-being. We spend a lot of time on education Um, empowering girls and women. We think about ways that we can help amplify action to end poverty every single day. Um, We also talk a lot about food and nutrition, um, pregnancy and birth so that are healthy and safe, protecting our planet and creating safe environments for families. So anything that fits under all of those, those broad, huge topics is, is a play, a topic of conversation on our site and within our um, social media community. So it really is a gateway. I mean, people like start here. Come on in, look around, see what That's you like. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah, and then you provide resources for them to grab the reins and run with it, and take that next step to wherever their heart is calling them. Yeah. Um, and to that end, actually, if I can do a quick little plug, we've Please. launched a new podcast called DIY Future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited about it. I know. I'm excited too. Yeah. <laughs> it's I... new territory for us, but we're thrilled to. Um, to explore really the, through the lens of these sustainable development goals that I mentioned earlier, um, some of the big issues that are out there. Um, so our first episode is available and on uh, iTunes and uh, wherever good podcasts are found. If you search for DIY feature, you'll find us. We'd love you to take a listen and join us in this journey. I love the title. I really like it a lot. I, um, you know, I think that common sense pregnancy and parenting doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. And yet I want to associate it with my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, because essentially what I'm trying to do with this podcast is have the conversations and provide the information that you can't fit into 250 page paperback. And yet DIY future sounds 
So good. The thing I love about common sense pregnancy is that everyone knows what you're going to be talking about. And so that, that to me has a lot of power. So, And actually, when I was naming the book or when it was a working manuscript, I called it Brass Tax Pregnancy. I mean, like, let's just get down to brass tax. Yeah. But the publishing, you know, I, the team at Penguin Random House that was working on, you know, the book jacket and all that stuff, they were really young and they had no idea what brass tax <laughs> meant. And they thought it sounded too painful for a pregnancy book. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah. So tell me more about your podcast. I, I imagine that, that we're going to be, you're going to be talking about similar issues that I cover with mine, but you've got a different way about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think certainly our overarching framework um, is going to be looking through the lens of these sustainable development goals or, or global goals. We have our first episode is actually just kind of framing what those goals are and getting us all to think about what we really, really want for the world. And then we'll be talking through a second episode will be about education. We'll particularly be focusing on access to education for girls because that's the biggest potential for changing the game. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so many more girls than boys don't have access to uh, an education and and it and if we want societies to become healthier we need girls who will then become mothers to be healthier and to have more resources at their fingertips we're going to talk a lot about health that health gets threaded through really everything it's such a sort of huge framework um, health and well-being particularly mm -hmm. for this idea of getting kids to age five in the world's toughest spots that, that's the big measurement point. If you can get a child to age five, then if you look at the graph, their survivability increases dramatically beyond that point. So those first five years are so critical. Um, we'll talk a lot about climate issues, the environment, how we make our planet safer and more sustainable. There's a very important meeting happening in Morocco in November called um, COP22 or Conference of Parties. It's a mm -hmm. very wonky way of saying that the countries around the world will be convening to really sit, sit down and talk about what their commitments are towards sustainability. And we want to talk through how ordinary mums and women in general can get involved in that. Um, in America and actually around the world now, Giving Tuesday has become a really big thing. So it's the Tuesday after Thanksgiving in this country, but many other countries celebrate Giving Tuesday as well. And it's this idea that it's a day as we go into the holiday season um, that reminds us to give and to give at the very beginning to the things that we care about. Um, right. We spend a lot of time talking about equality and human rights issues. Um, and then the, the global goals have a 15-year time frame. So that puts us, the goals were set in 2015. And when they're achieved, or to, they'll, that will be the year 2030. So what do we want for the year 2030? What are we thinking about? So that's our first series, sort of the framework of some of the things that we're going to be talking about. We're going to be doing it, though, in such a way that we bring our audience along with us in learning with us as we learn about these big issues and always, always showing ways that we can get involved and, and take action as individuals, as ordinary human beings who care. Yeah, I love it. I love it. The more the merrier. I'm excited. Yeah, we have so much to talk about. And the more I think podcasting is the perfect medium for it. Because and I, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, you know, as a writer, I get the opportunity to speak with 
really awesome people who are making their life's work to, you know, change the world through their talents. And that's a real privilege. And so maybe we'll get to talk for 45 minutes or an hour, but then the publication I'm writing for really only has a 500, 600 word article slot that they can take. That's like five, 10 minutes of the conversation. So I love that through podcasting, we can let people in on you know, so many more perspectives of the big, big story. Exactly. And just yeah. take that, take and, it to a richer level. Yeah. And you can listen on your run or in your car or on the train or walking the dog or, you know, cooking supper, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. If yeah. I ran, I would listen to it on my run. <laughs> but now I listen well, to it on the train on the way to work. <laughs> I, you know, I hang with the, uh, I, I'm in Portland, which is a running town, right. and I know uh, quite a few people who are very impressive runners. And so I am being very brave by even saying that I run. Um, I plod really slowly for a few miles with lots of interspersed walking. Good for you. <laughs> I do it, but I'm not glamorous about <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. So let's see. We've talked a lot about professional stuff, and we haven't talked about your boys yet. What do you think about, oh, how do we phrase it? They're different. Boys and girls are different. <laughs> are you think, do you think so? Oh, I think so. I, um, my boys are, as I said earlier, almost eight and 10, could not be more different from each other. And, um, are for the most part, an absolute joy, but, but I can certainly see, particularly with my little guy where the challenges are going to kick in in the team years, he is feisty and, and strong. And, um, the, the interesting thing for me about raising these two boys is that, um, it could be argued that one is, one of them is a little more stereotypically male than the other, just in terms of how he approaches life. And, mm-hmm. um, and then, and my older son is an incredibly sensitive child and very tender hearted. And every night in his prayers, he is praying for the world to be at peace and for all the animals, mm-hmm. especially the ones that are almost at extinction to be saved. And it's just, he's, this is like who this kid is. Um, yeah. so it's Fine. figuring out how to raise young men who will be respectful of women, who will be advocates and allies for women, who will be feminists, who will proudly claim and own that designation, you know, in the broadest definition of feminism, meaning that women are equal to men uh, in terms of access to rights and opportunities. Um, Raising, raising boys who will be those allies, um, but also making sure in a world that is spending a lot of time, rightly so, focused on girls and raising girls up, then I'm not leaving the boys behind. We've got to we've got to bring our boys and girls up with equal access for opportunity and conversation, and um, and participation in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. You know, we often say things like, "We have to figure out how to do it." And I think that really it's easier than that. We just have to model it. We have to show them 
this is how you live a feminist life. This is how you work for towards you know your own goals. This is how you take what you brought with you when you were born and work it. And you know they look at their parents and they say, oh, okay, well, that's what it takes. Yeah, and a lot of that mm-hmm. is modeling, right? I mean, they see yeah. they see their dad yeah. and me work together in terms of how we run our family. They see two parents who work full time. They see two parents who are doing dishes, two parents who are doing laundry, two parents who are scrubbing floors, two parents who are taking kids to games and, and this, that, and the other. Um, they should see two parents doing yard work, but I'm a bit gendered on that one. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, um, you know, they, they see us working together and collaborating and truly co-parenting. And from where the parents sit, that's really hard work. It's exhausting. Uh, our, mm-hmm. our lives were a little bit um, not easier but simpler during the phase where we had more traditional roles where um, I was a stay-at-home mum for a couple of years and um, and my husband was on the road 75% of the year. And so they've seen both models um, and the second model for us in particular has been more exhausting but ultimately – leading the lives that we want to lead. And so for us, it's worth it to fight and figure out how we share things in a, in a really um, cooperative way and be able to model for our kids that we're in this together and that successful families, and I don't mean that financially, I mean just like functioning families. Um, and you generally like each other and right, are doing well and are enough. Trying to trying to do it together, trying to support each other in each other's dreams and objectives. Yeah. And there are a lot of different models that can work and each family can use a lot. They don't have to use one model. I mean, I, when you have, you know, four or five kids, the older kids will inevitably look back. They'll look at how you're raising the younger ones and say, well, you didn't do that when I was yep. that age. And as if, you're supposed to take the same model and use it on each kid in different years and stages of your own life, different professional, you know, periods of time. Yeah. It's not going to work like that. You got to look at it for the long game. Exactly. You know? And also every kid is so different. I mean, each one of them came out from the get go <laughs> with no, a right? really different agenda and set of skills and, and personality types and, my, my four kids, I mean, yes, their DNA is pretty similar, but they could not be more different from each other. Um, yeah. And that piece alone is just really fascinating to me as to how how we parent um, each one of them and the things that worked for one definitely don't work for the other. And Yeah, yeah. And I wonder sometimes, I, I think, you know, if you have one kid, then there might be a natural propensity to think that who your child is has a huge, huge, it, it has to do with how you raise them. So if you got one, you think that who they become is an awful lot of you right. and your input. And then you have the second one and you say, oh, well, that's different. And yet still, y- you could easily think that it's all about you. <laughs> you get three or four and you realize each one is there's no, there's completely different people. You realize, nope, it's all a crapshoot. You get, <laughs> you get, and you don't feel a fit. We're doing the best we can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, you you mentioned that somebody on the street said to you, "Can't you stop?" 
what I have gotten so many times, I still get it when people ask me, how many kids do you have? And I'll, you know, say, I've got five. Do you, I mean, are you Catholic? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, Mormon? No. I am actually. <laughs> are you? Yeah. Catholic or Mormon? Mormon. Are I you? Am. Yeah. Well, they'll ask I me and it. no, I'm just careless. <laughs> <laughs> Fertile. I got pregnant a lot. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. Or, or they'll say, but you you were a labor and delivery nurse for 20 years. Don't you know how it works? <laughs> no, please enlighten me. How exactly? Oh, you mean that? <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, it's funny. You know, I always felt like there were four kids. It was just a feeling I had that there were four. And so I, um, I married in my early 30s I had my first baby at 34 I wanted to be done by 40 I knew there were four little people waiting for me and so we just we were really lucky my body did all the things it was supposed to do when it was supposed to do them and um and we, me we too through. I had a baby every couple of years I it's funny you know there's sort of this period of time for like eight years where I realized I was either pregnant or nursing um, yeah. for those four babies. And I, I think I mentioned earlier, I had six pregnancies. So I lost two babies in between the boys. Um, and so, you know, it was just, it's exhausting. Really? The kids, they were, I had two miscarriages, one very early yeah. and then one, um, just at the beginning of the second trimester. And, and I remember, um, you know, my kids say to me, Oh, do you remember when this happened and that happened? I'm like, Nope, <laughs> no, I do not. <laughs> It's yeah. a blur. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember that at all. <laughs> I believe you that it Ask happened. Your father. <laughs> yeah. Is there a photo? There's no proof I was there. <laughs> yeah, I have some but of those. The corollary to that is I remember when I had, I remember a picture of, of me in the hospital when the fourth baby came and I had so all four of them on my lap. And I remember looking at that photo the next day and thinking, oh my goodness, there are four of them. That's my life. How the heck am I going to do this? <laughs> yeah. But I wouldn't trade them. No. And then you do it. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I had a conversation with a couple of young women recently who were really, really curious about how in this day and age does a woman have that many kids? I mean, what are the practicalities around it? And I let him ask me questions and it was all about, for me, it was about the arc of our contraceptive history. You know, at the time when I was a young adult and I was sexually active, um, you could use the pill, you could use a diaphragm, you could use condoms. Um, but I came from a you know Catholic family where <clears throat> there was a lot of, I mean, you couldn't exactly, I couldn't go to my mom and say, Hey, mom, I got a boyfriend. Can we make an appointment? That was not happening. So you had to figure out how to do it on your own. And it wasn't that easy in the 70s. Right. Yeah. Um, we couldn't use the IUD because at that time it wasn't, we didn't have a functional model that wasn't injuring women. Um, if you weren't a candidate to take the pill and I wasn't, that wasn't going to work for you. So, you know, things are very, very different for women now. And whether you're a woman here in the United States or you're a woman in, you know, the mountains of Peru or, you know, wherever you are, 
options are really different. Women can have a really different choice than we could have. Absolutely. And, you know, it's really interesting to me too, to think about the access that I've had to family planning. Um, As a religious woman who comes from a religious culture of big families, I still relied heavily on contraception because I really wanted that couple of years with my husband when we first got married to be together and get to know each other and, and kind of deepen that connection and relationship. And I also, as we've discovered, pretty fertile. So I didn't really want to keep having babies through my 40s. And yet, you know, I just got blood work done last week and I'm still, you know, I'm nearly 50 and I'm still, um, I'm still fertile. So, like, in, you know, so, uh, you know, that's the, th- I'm so grateful that <laughs> I have the family size that I have, that it's the right family size for us, um, but that I have not put my body and my children's lives in danger um, by continuing to fall pregnant. Yeah, yeah. I am with you. <laughs> I'm the youngest of eight kids. And I do too. I really love being part of a big family and I'm close with most of my siblings and my kids really value their siblings a lot. Um, I don't for a minute think that any of my kids will have that many. I think that they look at it realistically and say, that's a lot. That's not, that's not going to happen for me, but you know, it's a different time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Their contraceptive arc is very, very different than mine. Yes. And yours. Yes. Yeah. So what else do we want to talk about? We've been hanging on the phone here for quite some time. I want to make sure that if there's anything you really, really want our listeners to know about you or your work or where they should find more information that we hit it. The first thing I would love anyone listening to do is just come on over to gobblemomschallenge.org and and have a look and see if there's anything there that connects with you and come join us on this journey. We promise not to bombard you, but you can find us on Facebook at Global Moms Challenge. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Global Moms Chal and Instagram at Global Moms Chal. And, and on iTunes at DIY Future. Exactly. Thank you. But we would love to just have you be part of the conversation and join us on this journey of figuring out um, what mums and kids are dealing with around the world and how we can get engaged at the level that's right for, for each of us. Right, right. And, and secondly, this is really the overarching theme and why Global Moms Challenge exists. Um, and that is that our voices matter. Yeah. And that when we raise them on behalf of each other, that is incredibly powerful. And it can sound cliche, it can sound a little cheesy, but I believe it with all my heart that mothers are the key to solving the world's big problems. When we stand up, when we say this is not acceptable and we will not tolerate this any longer on behalf of ourselves and on behalf of our children, people pay attention. You know, any any kid will tell you there's nothing more powerful or frightening than a room full of angry mamas. That's exactly right. So bring out your inner mama bear and we'll get let it be, as my friends at Moms Rising say, let's use our outside voices. Yeah. <laughs> and get this work done. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get stuff done. Yeah. Well, Chrisula, this has been a lot of fun. And before I let you off the hook, I'm going to ask the final question 
that I ask some version of this of every guest who comes on the pod. Where are you in your life as a mom? Wow, that is a great question. So many ways to answer it. You know, I've always resisted this idea of mom guilt. It's something that I think mothers in almost all cultures do really well and do too much of. Yeah. Um, and I and I just had an experience this week with one of my children that has reinforced this for me that that beating ourselves up for the things that we just physically can't do or um, aren't going to do because it's just not right it, it is a waste of time and energy. Um, guilt is a really helpful thing if it's motivating you to make a change that you know you need to make. But if there's nothing you can do about the situation or the issue, <clears throat> don't beat yourselves up. And I, I just feel a real sense of renewal in that process. I'm the best mum for my kids. I'm the right mum for my kids. I don't mother like other people mother. Other people don't mother like I mother. But we are doing collectively the best that we can. And we just need to own that and celebrate that. Excellent. Best mom I can be today for this kid <laughs> at this moment. Right. <laughs> Maybe better tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. That was a really good answer. Well, Chrisula, I think you and I are going to talk again down the road. We've got so much to talk about. Can't I you? agree. I've loved this. Thank you so much, Danny. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said. Mama said. Our guest today was Chrisula Weiniger, Senior Director, Communications and Special Initiatives at the United Nations Foundation and Community Manager for Global Moms Challenge. That's globalmomschallenge.org. Check out her new podcast, DIY Future, over on iTunes and share the heck out of it. Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting is produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. You can find more information about me at genefaulkner.com, email me, gene at genefaulkner, tweet me at genefaulkner, and don't forget to share, donate, and subscribe. And pick up a copy of the book, Common Sense Pregnancy, will ya? Thanks for listening, and let's talk again next week. Bye, everybody. Mama.